Lord, what a wonderful day to give you praise and give you honor and give you glory and to worship you and to call you our Father, Abba Father, and to thank you for Jesus, our King of kings and Lord of lords. And we thank you, Lord, that everything we do today continues to honor you and glorify you and lift you up and say thank you, Jesus, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful. Just beautiful. Just beautiful. I love it when you sing. I love it when you worship. Beautiful. Speaking of something I love very much, I have my oldest and tallest daughter here with me today. This is my Jordan. Come here. And if you want to see a miracle sign and wonder, I was told at 18 I'd never have children. It took me till I was almost 30. But this is what I have. This is my Jordan. This is my little baby. And I adore her. Thank you, my Jordan. That is a miracle, a sign, a wonder, and a really awesome human being. It's so funny because these are so many generations of Savelles and Roberts. I got a text from my middle daughter about something Terry had written. And she was doing Terry's vision board and how her life was just all over the map. And she had to come, I mean, in a good way. And she had to come to me last night and sit down. And she would be here today, but she was, she was kind of overwhelmed with some of the stuff she was feeling because she had been out and about maybe a little too much at Christmas. She was exhausted, to be honest, running mama's errands. And, and she sat down last night and began to talk about Terry and tell me what Terry meant to her opening up a vision board. Come to find out Cassidy had had a vision board party at their house and encouraged her to do it. Talk about generations, Oral and Evelyn, Richard and Lindsay, Carolyn and Jerry, and this whole group of Savelles and Roberts. What a miracle. What a miracle. I love your family. I love you guys. I love what you're doing. What an inspiration to the body of Christ, this whole group right there. Thank you, Lord. Now... I just have to tell you, I find this slightly comical because, you know, we're, we're talking about precious Carolyn. Hold on. I'm, I'm trying to get my Bible back on my phone. I, I like to carry my Bible everywhere with me because I carry it on my phone because I want it wherever I go. If I'm stuck somewhere or stumped somewhere, I don't like to just sit and do all kinds of silly things on my phone. I pull out my Bible on my phone. So if you see me staring at my phone, I'm staring at my Bible most of the time. So Carolyn is preaching about angels, and I'm going to preach about the little red hen. (laughs) There's just something (laughs) so very normal about that in our family here. But there is a connection between the ministering spirits of God and the little red hen. And we will get to that in just a minute. I knew about Jerry's tire episode. He had told us that story. And, and we were laughing because I had a tire episode recently on my way to San Antonio. So guess who I called? Carolyn. And I said, you've got to pray. And I had already been hours into this. And I think it was like a six-hour drive from where I was. And it was easier to drive than fly. No, I think it was actually like a four-and-a-half-hour drive. And, and by now, I'm six hours into it, and I'm not even close. And we were driving down the road. And, and here's the beauty of the devil. The devil takes every opportunity he can to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Richard, knowing that he wanted to make sure every little duck was in a row, he went to a tire store and had our car filled with gas and our tires checked that morning. And the weird thing about our tires is in, because of the heat, it, it happened to have been 113 degrees that day. And, and so because of the heat, you know, it has those little tire sensors and it says your tire is flat. Well, yeah, our tire wasn't flat at first because it was, you know, and we had been having this all week that the tire sensor was going off just because of the heat. So we went into the tire store and the guy said, no, it's just your tire sensor going off. You're fine. So we get on the road and we are driving. Now you talk about two very brilliant human beings and combine our intelligence together. Couldn't fill a bucket that day. And we were on our way on the highway in 113 degrees. Now, mind you, like he has an earned doctorate degree and I went to law school. So we're talking, I mean, we're not, we shouldn't have, we should have known better, right? So we're on the road and my brilliant husband says to me, this tire gauge says that our tire's flat. Now, the tire wasn't flat. It didn't feel flat. We were going 60 some miles an hour. Nothing seemed like it was wrong. And I said, you know, just to be safe, just in case, I'm a just in case. I call it JIC, 
just in case. And so I'm a just in case kind of person. I told my husband, let's just check just in case. Now that morning, you know how you have that morning? Like you stopped and got ice cream? That morning, for some crazy reason, I got this brilliant idea to stuff my pockets full of quarters. Wow, that was a great idea. Why I didn't, I, uh, there's this jar on my, on my countertop that Richard pours all of his change in. And some reason this change was full of quarters this time. And I thought, well, we might need those for the hotel. We might need those for a soda machine. We might need those for whatever. And I, I'm walking around like this because I stuffed my pockets full of quarters. Why? I don't know. And I said, you know what, just in case, let's just pull over to the the roadside thing, and let's take a look at it. And we took a look at it, and lo and behold, I don't know what lo and behold is, but lo and behold, the tire was not just flat. It had a hole in it big enough for me to put my fist in, and big enough for me to put my fist in, most of the tire had shredded. And so I crawled on my hands and knees in 113 degrees. I hit my head so hard, I was like loopy, and I got down under the car and... I know, right? And so here I am doing this. Now, Richard, she got it, right? He's standing up. Hello. What's wrong with that picture? But bless his heart. He was trying to look at the tire gauge. He was trying, and he found this air machine. And he said, Lindsay, give me all those quarters out of your pocket. Now I knew. Well, okay, it made sense. To who? It's a hole so big you can stick your fist in. And my husband and I are standing in an air machine. You know you've lived 62 years. I'll be 63 this Christmas. Jerry and I share the same birthday. Birthday, And, and you know you've lived long enough when you pay $1.50 for air. So I'm stuffing quarters in. Meanwhile, Richard is holding the hose on. And as soon as he fills it up with the quarters, he said, jump in the car. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> We jump in the car, tire splats a pancake. Well, of course it is. It has a hole in it big enough to stick my fist in. So I get in the, I, I said, let's put more quarters in. I mean, what were we thinking? So we stuffed like $10 worth of, boy, that guy made a haul on his air that day. And we just kept stuffing quarters in, jumping in the car, starting the car, going to take off and it goes flat. Well, Hello, of course it's going to go flat. So I saved our last dollar fifty, and I said to Richard, "Okay, so here's what we're going to do." I got on my cell phone, and in point three miles, there was a tire center that was down a gravel road, and we're already on the rim. And I said, "Okay, let's just do it." So I called the guy. He said, "I've got your tire, no problem." He said, "I know exactly what your car is. I know exactly the tire. Just come on down." Or no, he didn't say come on. He said, "He said I have it at my store," and I got the directions to his store. Well, I'm down a gravel road, and it is getting very weird. And it's like like a farm road, and it's got all these farm appliances, but there's no tire center. And I looked up, and there's this place that has stacks of other people's torn-up tires. And I said, that's it. Let's go. So we went in, and I dialed it, and I said, um, we're here. He said, yeah, I got your tire. I said, no, we're here. He said, oh, I didn't know you meant today. I'm in Washington. So back on our rim, we drive down the gravel road and we go back to the tire store and we put our, or the other store and we put a dollar fifty back in. And I said, you pray in tongues. I said, angels in the name of Jesus, I dispatch you. I am desperate here. Now I'm already about to miss the meeting. And I just said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we need angels to get us on the highway. We kept calling one place after another, called the next guy. He said he had him, got in our car. It went from six pounds of pressure to 10 pounds of pressure. We had air in a tire that had a hole in it big enough for my fist. And we got to the next guy. And of course, what he said, oh, I didn't know you meant that tire. I don't have it. So we got back in the car and we went to the third place and he had it. Now, our tire got us there all that way with a hole big enough to put my fist in and $10 worth of quarters and us praying in tongues and saying, angels, you got to get us there. So we got there and I called Carol. Now I am in tears by now and I am shaking like a leaf because this is ridiculous. And it was a miracle at 70 miles an hour. We didn't crash into something or hurt somebody. So the guy said, yeah, I can fix it, but it's going to take me a minimum of three hours. I said, are you the only tire place in town? He said, no, I'm the only tire place like this in like how many, how many cities around? I said, okay, three hours. He said, well, at least three hours. We sat down and I called Carolyn. I said, Carolyn, I'm desperate. She prayed. And I'm telling you, the guy came up and he said, 
I just decided to do your car first. You're done. I have a lick on my head. It's 113 degrees. I'm out my $10 worth of quarters. And Carolyn prayed, and she has tire anointing. Because I got there. I got there in time to preach, and the rest is history. So if you ever have any kind of issues with your tire, remember Carolyn's tire anointing. Because I'm telling you, when we dispatch angels, stuff begins to happen. In Jesus' name. I was, I was talking to her about her meeting and about wanting to uh, participate with the theme of angels. And I remember the story my father-in-law told me about being in the hospital. Um, and he had, he had, in Oklahoma, you know, it was easy to have sinus issues. And he had had sinus issues that he just couldn't get underway. He prayed, everybody prayed. So he went into the hospital just to have like, I don't know what they do, like some kind of scan thing for him to find out what in the world is going on with all the sinus stuff in Oklahoma. So they do that, and he was kind of like waking up from whatever was happening. And he said he looked up in his room, and he said there was an angel in his room that was so big that it was like sitting, seated on the ground, and stretched out on the ground with his body kind of up the wall, and his head like going out into the ceiling, because he was so huge, he kind of didn't fit in the room. And Oral thought, I'm dreaming. And then he thought, well, I am not dreaming. And this angel began to talk to him. And Oral was like, this is nuts, what's going on? And he said, what are you doing here? And the angel spoke to him and said, dispatch me. You use that word scripturally over and over today. And Oral said, I don't understand. And he said, I can't do anything until you dispatch me. And Oral said, what? And the angel spoke back to him again and said, I can't do anything until you dispatch me. So Oral said what he was in in need of at that time. And he said, and now I dispatch you, ministering spirit to go minister in my behalf. And he said he didn't even get the sentence finished and whoosh, it was gone. And within minutes, he found out the problem was solved. Now he's in the hospital. An angel is appearing to him saying, dispatch me. And by the time he had prayed, the answer had already come. How does that happen? Because it's God's divine supernatural presence and power that is laid up for us if we take dominion over it. Now, I said that to say this. In the same effect, during the same hospital visit, one of the things Oral was experiencing was nosebleeds, but not to be gross, but it, wouldn't, it was like it wasn't stopping. And, and, and for him, it was getting to be very dangerous. And so one of the nurses came in and said to him, Which hand did you use to pray the tent prayers? And he said, right hand. She grabs his right arm. She slaps him in the face. And she said, now, Oral, say, be healed in Jesus' name. So now he's got his own hand slapped in his face. And he said, be healed in Jesus' name. Immediately, it dried up. Two interesting things happened there. He understood the power of his words to dispatch angels to go and minister as ministering spirits for us, and he understood the power of his own words to bring forth healing. Therefore, I want to talk about the power of our own words. And if we're using our words, women, they say, have 25,000 words a day, and men have 5,000 words a day. May God help them. I think I borrow. You know how they have those rollover minutes on your phone? I think I borrow my rollover minutes and, and my words I'm like ahead of the game till like 2076 because I have a lot to say. And so when Richard gets home, I'm not going to tell you that he calls it word vomit, but if I were to tell you, that's what I'd say. But we can take our words and attach them to the spirit of the living God and dispatch angels, and dispatch ministering spirits, and they do our bidding in our behalf, and we can bring forth all of this and all of that, or we can use our words to do some of the silliest, 
things and say some of the most counterproductive things. And while we're standing here, sometimes wearing this cute little outfit that Carolyn picked out so we look like an angel costume while we preach, sometimes, in all honesty, I'm amazed that if we were to see what we really look like to the devil, we wouldn't end up in a red costume with a long tail, some pointed ears, and a pitchfork based on the words we speak out of our mouth. Sometimes we don't ask the angels to do our bidding. Sometimes we do Satan's bidding for him, and he can sit back, have a little sip of tea, and say, she's doing my job for me, and I don't have to do a little thing. I can just sit here and watch her words self-destruct. Now, it sounds goofy, but I have tried to make a decision to be accountable to my words. And I really believe with every fiber of my being, our words carry so much power. I'm going to show you how much power it carries because it is the Ruach, wind of God, the life-giving breath of God. It actually is the creative power of God through P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, as in pneumonia, which is like the breath of our lungs coming out of our lungs, up out of our mouth, and giving a vibration of sound, and that means the life-giving power of God. Now, if God spoke this world into existence and Carolyn said, let there be light. Actually, the way one translation says, God spoke light be and light was and darkness was dispelled. Light didn't mingle with the darkness until the darkness kind of faded away. Light came in, darkness left. This is how God's realm is for us. Light comes in, darkness is dispelled. There is no mixing and mingling. There is no Laodicean church. There is no hot and cold, no lukewarm, and I'll vomit you out of my mouth. It is simply light or dark. It is hot or cold. And there is no Mr. or Mrs. in between. And so when light came in to dispel the darkness, Jesus came to this earth to show us what the Father was. Jesus was the Word clothed in flesh. And as he was the Word clothed in flesh, everywhere he went, the Word was with him. The Word was him. And then he gave us this example, because I think when we think of Father God, when we think of Father God, and we think so many times, have you ever been a kid wanting to date somebody, and the parent comes out, mom's usually, oh, okay, and dad's the, uh, yeah, I'll get the shotgun, right? And so Father God can be more of that intimidating, El Elyon Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and he said, you know what? All throughout the Old Testament, they obey, they disobey, they obey, they disobey, and they get to the part of Malachi, and Malachi said, you've gone away from my ordinances. And so then there's 400 silent years, and then we see the birth of Jesus, so that God can put skin and flesh on his presence and his power and his glory, bring it into the earth, and no longer we have to believe it into the earth. Now it's in the earth, so when Jesus leaves the earth, what did he say in John chapter 17? And the glory. I have a Bible with 27, it's 25 translations in it. And I looked it up where it said, the glory that God has given me, it means the power, the presence, the anointing, all of the above. It means the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us to quicken or bring life into our mortal body. That same word, glory, means overshadowing. When Mary was overshadowed with the Christ child, when Mary was overshadowed here and there, when Peter's shadow, Peter's shadow didn't pass in the street at noon under a perfect fig tree so that when it did, somebody was getting healed because of his shadow. It meant the overshadowing of the glory of God on him. So John chapter 17, Jesus is saying, I have to leave this earth. And when the disciples find out that Jesus is leaving, they flip out. How is it better that you go? He said, no. He said, if I go, then the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that is not only walking with you, but now can be in you, can be manifest. And that same spirit that will raise me from the dead can dwell in you and quicken and make alive any situation that you're facing. But you see, sometimes I read that and I didn't believe it. I had to get out my 25 translation and say, did I read this wrong? And I read it and I reread it and I read it and I reread it and I realized that God entrusted Jesus with his glory. So he came from heaven, was birthed into the earth, and as he stayed in this earth, he manifests that glory as a witness to us to see what's possible. It's recorded in the Bible. As it's recorded in the Bible, Jesus goes to the cross, says, it's better that I go. Now I can sit at the right hand of God the Father. And while I'm sitting there, you can be my chair partner. And the right hand is the power source. And he said, and the glory. 
that you have given me, Father God. I give to them. And then he said the weirdest thing. He said, I don't pray for everybody in the world. Oh, my God. And I mean that literally. That Jesus would include me in the group that he does pray for. And not in the group that he does not pray for. But he said, and the glory that I have given and you've given to me, I now give to them so that they can carry. He said, greater work shall we do because he goes to his father. He would not give us an assignment without the tools to do the assignment. And if he had to be in glory, if he had to be anointed, Jesus, the anointed one in his anointing, then how much more is we in total flesh? He was only part flesh. How much more do we in total flesh have to have that anointing? And that's the power of God, the presence of God. It's angelic host to be dispatched to do our bidding. If you read in Jeremiah, when God gave Jeremiah this huge assignment and he said, but I'm, and he said, he actually said, oh Lord God. And when he said, oh, Lord God, I'm just a child. And then God says, don't look at the fear in their faces. Oh, great. That's, oh, thank you. I get to go convict them. And you tell me, don't be afraid because I'm a kid and they're going to throw me in a well. And he's like sitting there saying, no, listen, I'll anoint your words. I'll send you with my glory. I'll send you with my power. If he didn't have that, there's no way Jeremiah could have done what he did. There's no way anybody could have done what they did in the Old Testament, let alone the New Testament with all the persecution, let alone today with all the persecution. It's not possible without the anointing. If we accept the job as a Christian and to do what he did and be what he was and and say what he says, then we have to have the anointing to follow or we are going to fall flat into the devil's trap. So if we don't know what we have as our tools of our trade, then how are we going to operate it? Operate in it. Faith is the substance. It's a tangible, touchable substance of materials used in the kingdom of God. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. If you look at the word faith and you look at your dollar bill, a dollar bill is very simple. Money is actually defined as the medium of exchange for goods and services. It is a spendable commodity as the medium of exchange for goods and services. That's what a dollar is in the United States in currency. In the realm of God, faith is as it's, there's a definition of it, the spendable commodity in the kingdom of God to exchange what you have for what God has. But if we don't know that by our faith, by faith, through faith, in faith, we can exchange the faith that God, God has given to us. He gave every person the measure of faith. We have a spendable commodity. But if you sit back and go, oh me, oh my, oh God, oh dear, and spend none of your commodity, you're not going to get your lunch. If you want to go to Quick Trip and you want to get a Slurpee, be prepared to either steal it and pay the consequences or use your spendable commodity. In the kingdom of God, you have a spendable commodity called your faith that activates the supernatural realm of God. The kingdom of this world is not like the kingdom of God. It's different. The kingdom of God is a supernatural realm. Jesus, when he went to hell, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Why was he there three days? He was grabbing the keys. Keys to what? Keys to the kingdom. He was dumping off sin and sickness and sorrow and fear and torment and putting it where it belonged and giving us the keys to the kingdom. And he said, seek first the keys to the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his ways of operating in the kingdom. And when you do, everything you have need of shall be added unto you. The kingdom of God is as a seed. We can sow seeds of our finances. We can sow seeds of our words. We can sow seeds of our prayer. Pray ye one for another. That seed is in. And then it comes multiplied back to you. But if you don't know the power that you have, as Carolyn quoted, working in us word... It didn't say working in God or Jesus. It said the mighty power of God working in us word. If we don't know that, then you're not going to spend your spendable commodity and you're going to be sitting there without your spiritual lunch, starving to death. Thus, the little red hen. One summer day, the little red hen found a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat, said the little red hen to herself. I will plant it. And she asked the duck. I love this. A friend of mine sent me a book, uh, The Little Red Hen, and said, read it. You'll get why. And she she asked the duck, will you help me plant a grain of wheat? No, not I, said the duck. So she asked the goose, will you help me plant the grain of wheat? No, not I, said the goose. 
So she asked the cat, will you help me plant the grain of wheat? Guess what the cat said? No, not I, said the cat. And she asked the pig, will you help me plant the grain of wheat? No, not I, said the pig. And it goes on and on and on. She said, okay, fine, I'll plant it myself. So she planted the grain of wheat. Then it grows up. She has to harvest it. She has to crack the wheat. She has to bake the wheat. She has to knead the bread. She has to bake the bread. But guess what happened when the smell of the aroma of that bread hit the duck and the goose and the cat and the pig? They all came running in and said, can we have some of your bread? And what did she say? No. And you know what most people say when they attack your harvest because they don't know the seeds that you planted? You're not a very good Christian. I don't care what people say. I have what I have and I do what I do based on one thing, based on the seeds that I sow. And I believe with every fiber of my soul. If I sow, I reap. As long as the earth remains, the Bible says in Genesis, there'll be seed time followed by harvest. Day by night, summer by winter, seed time by harvest. You cannot stop day going to night. You cannot stop summer going to winter. You cannot stop heat going to cold. And you cannot stop seed going to harvest. In fact, Jesus was so committed to the harvest, he called himself a few names throughout the Bible. And one of them was the Lord of the harvest. But if you do not sow your seed... Don't be surprised when the little red hen says no. If you don't know that you can sow your seed, pray ye one for another. Not that they may be healed. They might get healed. But it says pray one for another that you might be healed. I call that a boomerang prayer. You send out that prayer and guess what it comes back to you on every wave, the Bible says. If you want to sow discord, don't be shocked when discord comes pounding on your door. If you want to sow faith, don't be shocked when your faith is increased and multiplied by hearing the word of God. If you sow kindness and mercy and whatever, and it comes knocking on your door, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, you cannot say it happened because my last name is Roberts. I had somebody come to me and say, of course you're blessed. Your last name is Roberts. And I said, listen, I was blessed when my last name wasn't Roberts because when I was 12 years old, I understood from a man named Oral Roberts, I became a partner with my $10 seed stuck in an envelope with my name written on the envelope and his name written on the envelope and Tulsa, Oklahoma written on the envelope. And I became a joint partaker where I sowed my seed into good ground, not stony ground. And I I expected that seed to come to harvest. And joint partaker is in Philippians 4, 13 through 19. When Paul said, you did well to communicate with my necessity. And they became, that word is joint partaker. You partnered with me. And he said, you Philippians only. Now he wrote books like like, uh, Colossians from the church letter he wrote to them. He wrote Ephesians because he wrote a church letter to the the church at Ephesus. He wrote Galatians because he wrote a church letter to those people. They were, Galatians were always in trouble. And he was always saying, you foolish Galatians and all of that stuff. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. He was trying to get the flavor of that church to line up with the word of God. But when you look at the church at Philippi, they were seed sowers. And he said, you've sown once and again unto my necessity. And he said, you Philippians only. That's a kicker of a word right there. Because that group only that sowed the seed got to go to the next verse that said, now my God shall supply all your need. He didn't say to everybody and he didn't say, I pray for the whole world. He said to this group only. If you look at the parable of the sower in Luke 8, he is talking about sowing and reaping. He's talking about stony ground and good ground. And then he turned and said to you only. Oh, there's that word again. He said to you group, you see, the women were called women of substance who gave out of their goods, possessions, and properties. They were women of substance. It means they're material goods. And they sowed into Jesus and became part of the team. And then there was a group that went with him. And then the disciples went with him. And he said to you only, you only, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I'll open up the mysteries of the kingdom. And he said, some will hear these parables. But he said, let him who has ears to hear Let him hear. And he was not talking physically. He was saying there is a kingdom that is higher than what we see of this world. And if we will shift gears into the Lord of the harvest and believe that we can have something higher than what we see, something bigger than our paycheck, something bigger than our our, our despair, something bigger than depression or despair or doom and gloom, my goodness sake, 
I am 62, almost 63 years old. I turn on the television and I see some of the most goofed up, made up news. I've lived it in my own life. I watched while, while one entire huge news broadcast uh, uh, during Thanksgiving put up the Macy's Day Parade when Oral was talking about how big Jesus was and said, Oral needs to bring his 900-foot Jesus to the Macy's Day Parade and let everybody see it. That was, what, 20 years ago. And now we have surpassed all that. And now we have the fake news, the make news, the shake and bake news, the I don't know what you're talking about news. And it's to not just get us, I was reading a news commentary by news people, that they do not present the news to make you think. They present the news to make you feel because they want to mess with your emotions because if they can mess with your emotions, what you think doesn't matter, what the facts are doesn't matter, and all you have is this pile of emotions. Your soul realm is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And if you will bless the Lord, Psalm 103, 1 through 5, oh, my soul, and all that is within me, not believe half the junk. I had a great-grandfather that was the most wonderful, sweet man on earth. And he said, believe half of what you see and none of what you read. Well, let me, and then he said, unless it's the word of God. So if we get into a mindset that we are going to run everything through our mind, our will, and emotions based on bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And when we do that, he will heal all of our diseases. He forgives our iniquities. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. And he satisfies our mouth with such good things that our youth, hallelujah, is renewed like the eagles. Now, I want to say it to you this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And then it goes on to say in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, death and life are not in the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That means the Ruach wind of God, the spiritual attachment. If you have ever walked into a room where two catty women are fighting, try doing it at a 70% off sale and the door opens and they want the same article of clothing. Oh my goodness. Instantly their claws begin to grow and their teeth begin to make fangs. And then they pounce on an outfit that they really don't want, but the price is so good. Somebody once asked me, what size shoes do I wear? I said, whatever size is on sale. I thought that was brilliant myself. But the truth is death and life, thus the shoes I'm wearing because my heel is slipping. Death and life don't, I saw you look, I saw my own daughter. She, she ratted me out to Carolyn. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it eat the fruit thereof. That's the Lord of the harvest. You sow seeds with your mouth. Don't you remember when we were little? We used to sing a song: "Be careful what your words say, because you may have what you say today, because you ha- might have to eat those words tonight." I tell you something. There's a spiritual revelation that we have to use our twenty-five thousand words. Why was it that when a woman was there when Jesus basically was conceived? Why is it that a woman gave birth to him? Why is it that a woman followed him around? Why is it that he said so much to women? Why is it that women were right there at the cross when all the men had left? Why is it that when he was raised from the dead, he went to a woman? Because I think he knew that she could use her twenty-five thousand words for good and for emotion and build up and make a case and plead his case where a man would said, hey, I saw a guy. And a woman would have said, you know I'm telling you the truth. Sorry, I know there's men at the sound men, but, and sound men, but it had to be said. And yet, we can use 24,990 words for evil quicker. And then what do you do? At the end of the day, you don't have anything left to spend and say something nice. Or we can start out, this is the day the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice. I choose to be glad in it. I refuse fear. I refuse doubt. I refuse worry. Listen, I have to say that to myself all the time. I have to speak to myself and command myself to pay attention. I tell myself, sit down. I'm going to talk to you. And sometimes I just have to do that. And sometimes my best friend in the entire universe is a great big fat gray roll of duct tape that I put over my mouth. I don't recommend that to anybody, but yes, I've done it personally. And I tell myself to zip it until I can say something that's in harmony with the word of God. And if I can't, I tell myself this tape's not coming off until you can. Because our words can redeem us. Or our words can destroy us. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And it's so interesting because if we go, I want you to look at Mark chapter 11. And this to me is the coolest scripture. We can speak, we can say, we can bind, we can loose. You know, bind and loose, that's one of the coolest words in the Bible. Because there's, there's interesting words that are like sharper than a two-edged sword and bind and loose. Bind, there's words that have complete, total, opposite meaning of the same word. Because it means to bind, means to bind you to the word of God and at the same time bind you away from the effects of the devil. So when you bind something, you are binding yourself to God at the same time binding yourself away from the acts of the devil. And it's such a cool word. You are loosing yourself into the kingdom of God and at the same time loosing Satan's grip away from you. So that's some of the words in the Bible are so interesting because at the same time they can build you up and give you an inheritance and at the same time it's doing that command Satan to take his hands off of you. If you look at Mark 11 and I just love this because it says, you know, they're talking about Jesus was going out and then he sees a fig tree and as he sees this fig tree he was coming out of Jerusalem and he looks out and he sees a fig tree and he says, "Hmm, I'm hungry." He's got his disciples with him. And when we look at that scripture it's very interesting. Because most of us pay attention to the part that says, have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. I love that part. But to me, that's not the best part. And we all pay attention to, and if you stand praying, forgive. Okay, that one's a little rocky for me sometimes. But it's in there. we got to do it. And then it also says, speak to your mountain. Command it to be cast into the sea. Do not doubt in your heart. Believe the things you say will come to pass. You have whatever you say. Great. I love all those say, speak, speak, say. Because it tells us even write out and say this. Be thou removed. I mean, it's very detailed. But then I want you to back up. Think about when Jesus was with his Father God, speaking the world into existence, commanding everything to have life, light be, light was. And he created every living thing with the power of his words. He comes to this earth and he said, I only say the things my Father said to say. I only do the things my Father said to do. I must be about my Father's business. I'm not going to mess and waste my time with anything else. Talk about time management. There you have it. I mean, this woman is a time management powerhouse. And this is time management. I'm not going to waste my time doing things that are counterproductive. And yet he said, speak, say, say, speak. Still, that's not my favorite part. If you look very carefully with Jesus being there with his father and saying what his father said and witnessing the foundation of the earth, the creation of the earth, it wasn't nothing that came into something. As Carolyn said, it was a place provided for the devil himself that this is when Lucifer fell where he was sent. The Bible said it is a place that is void, but it doesn't mean it didn't have anything. And so Jesus sees his father God speak to the void and command light be and light was. So as we look at that, he creates every living thing. If you are a fig tree and branches sticking out, are you a living thing? Yes. So here, he and Father God created every living thing to have a particular purpose. And in its rebellion, the tree is not acting according to how it was spoken into existence. Satan would like to get us into rebellion and not saying what we're supposed to say and not doing what we're supposed to do. And when that happens and we are in rebellion and we are out of sync and out of harmony with the word of God, then the word of God is not going to work and we might just get rebuked. So Jesus looks at the fig tree. Now there's a bunch of translations that said the time of figs had not yet come. What it mainly said, the leaves were on there, the, green, the, the branches were there, the leaves were there and it was green. The figs should have appeared. And when it was acting in rebellion and not behaving the way it was spoken into existence to behave, and it was following a plan of death instead of life and not producing the way it should have, how many of us are not producing the way God wants us to produce and doing what God wants us to do? Jesus did not talk to the tree. Well, yes, he did. No, he did not. Read it. It says he answered the tree. It does not say he spoke to the tree. It says he answered the tree. And he said, why did he answer the tree? If I asked you a question, you'd answer me, right? The tree was talking first. The tree was mouthing off in a spiritual realm saying, I don't have to do what you told me to do. You can't make me. I don't have to act the way you want me to act. And you can't make me. I don't have to produce and you can't make me. And we may be saying to say to Jesus in our rebellion, 
Somebody asked me how I was called into the ministry and what did I do? I said, I went in rebellion, kicking and screaming. I'm not going to lie to you. I am, if anybody knows me, being in, in front of public eye and being on a camera, my first experience when Richard introduced me, I let go of his hand. I was on a platform on stage. I let go of his hand. I walked off stage. I got in my car and I drove about 100 miles away. I had no destination. I just did not want to be in front of people. Let me tell you something. When you're in front of people, you become a very large target for the devil to take ammunition. And when people can't get to you, dear God, they go to your children. So I did not jump into the ministry praying and asking Father, Carolyn wanted to be a missionary. She jumped into the ministry, both feet, both hands, diving and swimming. I went kicking and screaming. And one day the Lord spoke to me. And he said, your shyness has crossed over into disobedience. I didn't want to hear that. In fact, I thought it was rude. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I felt like that was me. Why would God call me out of my comfort zone? Well, why did Jesus go to the cross? You think it was comfortable? No, but sometimes there is a plan and a purpose for our life that's beyond what we think. And in our rebellion... If we think we can get away with it, be careful because when the tree spoke out of rebellion and didn't produce what it was supposed to do, Jesus answered the tree and said, never again forever will you have the ability to come against me. So many times we let the devil attack us. Do you remember a song when you're a kid? I hope to the Lord my daughter does not raise her hand because I don't believe I ever let her sing this song or I ever encouraged her to know this song. Do you remember the song that says, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. And then you go like this, woo, sit on attack, woo. For God's sake, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you tell him, go sit on attack. Number one, you're going to make him angry. Number two, he's going to come back with a vengeance and woo, get thee behind me, Satan. You will not prevail. That is not woo. We teach from childhood. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Meanwhile, he is bashing and trashing every part of your existence because we don't understand the weapons of our warfare. They are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought that's in disobedience to the word of God. And finally, we understand there are angels that we can say, go do this, I dispatch you. Go bring in that. I dispatch you. Bring in my financial harvest. I dispatch you. Sell my house. I dispatch you. Bring in my healing. I dispatch you. Instead, (laughs) I'm so not loving that (laughs) mentality. Have you ever watched those TV shows? And I have done it before. Can't lie to you. But have you ever watched those TV shows where the woman, you know, is about to get, you know, like, I love Hallmark because this doesn't happen on Hallmark. But... But, you know, she runs, and then some guy is running hard, and she's, eh. <laughs> Probably, you will never hear me go, eh. Why are you so mean to me? I watched this TV show where this woman said she had a frying pan ministry, and I didn't understand what that meant. Some of you understood and watched the same program. If somebody ever came at me like that, I'd grab my iron skillet in my kitchen and I'd show them how to do things. (laughs) Mine was a baseball bat ministry. I keep a baseball bat in my car. And then the baseball bat broke, which made it more jagged on the edges. And the guy said, he was cleaning my car. I went through a car wash and he said, do you want me to throw that away? I said, absolutely not. (laughs) He said, what are you using for? I said, anything that comes against me. They're going to meet my pink bat. He said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. See, we let the devil do what he wants and we tell him, go sit on attack. When we have the right to say, angels, in the name of Jesus, put a stop to this. Angels, I dispatch you, go do this. In the name of Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan, you will not prevail. By the stripes that wounded Jesus, we're to be healed and made completely whole. So I want to ask you a question. What are you saying? And what are you answering? 
Listen, if you're talking, hallelujah. But if Satan is talking to you, are you answering him? Are you just sitting there and allowing him to bash you with his words, with his will, with his way, with everything that comes against you? Are you saying with your words, get thee behind me, Satan, you will not prevail? I have a yellow duck. I brought it here before, I do believe. And my yellow duck is from the toy store. When I was diagnosed with cancer, and I'll be honest with you, it threw me for a loop. I can't lie to you. I mean, in my house, you did well if you could find a Tylenol because I, I just, God has blessed us and blessed our family. So when I had this lump in my throat, I honestly thought, eh, I thought it was strep throat. And the first doctor that I talked to said, you know, you might want to go get that checked. It sounds like it's strep throat because of the way it, it hurt and had a little swelling and blah, blah. Turns out it's thyroid cancer. And so I'm expecting a round of antibiotics and a big dose of vitamin C, and I got a big dose of, you have stage four thyroid cancer. I wasn't expecting that. I knew something was wrong, but I sure didn't think it was that. And Richard went out and got me a yellow duck at the toy store. And he sat me in the car. I can, I can tell you right where it was. the toy store was, and he parked the car, and he got out, and I knew he was going to do it. And he said, I don't want you to ever be without this duck. Put it on your countertop. Look at it every day. He said, you are not a sitting duck waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because once you've been diagnosed like that, they want to check this and check that and check this and check that. And fear didn't come knocking on my door. It, it tap danced on my head. And he said, you are not a sitting duck. Get thee behind me, Satan. You will not prevail. Now, I've had to repeat that to myself on more occasions than I planned. But if we're going to sit back and say, oh, devil, (laughs) sit on attack, I wonder where I'd be right now. There is no attack. I'll tell you what there is. There is an attack. I bind you in the name of Jesus. And from this moment on, Satan, whatever you try against me will not bear fruit. From this day forward, what your plan will not bear fruit Ever again, forever, is what he said. When the devil talks to you, I want to encourage you. If you feel like crying, I felt like crying. But if you continue, I learned something in the Bible about the word cry, C-R-Y. I wrote a book called Cry for Miracles. Why? Cry in the Bible is the same word, C-R-Y, but it's one of those weird words that has two complete different meanings. It means cry, (laughs) boo-hoo, poor me, I'm defeated. And it is the same word for battle cry. You have to make a decision. Is this going to be your (laughs) moment or is it going to be your battle cry moment? In the spirit realm, don't recommend it in the flesh. Don't anybody accuse. Get yourself a pink baseball bat, spiritually speaking, and go to war. And tell the devil, no, you will not do this. You have angels. You have God. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have praying in the spirit. You have a praying community. Don't forget the weapons of your warfare. And begin to say in the name of Jesus, watch this devil. And I'm telling you, here I am. I'm cancer free. I'm alive. I'm healed. I'm whole. I'm preaching. She's preaching about angels. I'm preaching about the little red hen. But it all adds up the same. There comes a time when you have to say no to the devil. I did the work. I did this. I've done this. I've done that. God said, remind him of his promises and tell the devil no. Everybody, I want you to catch hands, stand up, do whatever you want to do, but we're going to pray. And we are going to talk back to the devil. Whatever it is that you're going through today, and whatever it is the devil has had this mighty conversation with you over, maybe it's a physical conversation, been there. Maybe it's a financial conversation, been there. Maybe it's a family conversation, been there. Maybe it's an emotional conversation, yep, been there. In the name of Jesus, use your voice. Use the creative Ruach wind of God, the creative life-giving power and presence of God out of your mouth to tell the devil, no, you will not prevail. You cannot do this. Never again. Jesus said never again forever. So right now, Father God, as they are speaking it out of their mouth, tell the devil never again forever. In the name of Jesus, I speak to your finances and I command them to be healed in Jesus' name. I command them to be healed in Jesus' name. 
As you sow, command the Lord of the harvest to bring it in. (coughs) Excuse me. In the name of Jesus. As you sow, you reap. And as you pray ye one for another, that's a real good way to start this. Pray for the table you're at. Pray for the people you're thinking about. Pray for whomever God is bringing to your remembrance. And as you pray one for another, believe that it comes back to you in the name of Jesus. As I'm looking here at Annette, I can't even imagine how many prayers she's prayed. Lord, let them come back multiplied to her good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Jordan one time injured her foot. My fault. I got it caught in a car seat. And, and she said, pray, mama, pray. And I prayed. And then she said, pray again. And I prayed. And she said, keep praying, mama. I said, how much do you want me to pray? And she said, until the pain stops. We're going to pray right now until the pain stops. In the name of Jesus, I speak to your physical body. And I command the devil to stop it. That's enough. That is the word rebuke. We have a Bible right to apply it. We rebuke you, devil, and we command you to take your hands off of us. The answer is no. Devil, you didn't plant my seed. Devil, you don't get to bake my bread. Devil, you don't get to crack the wheat. Devil, you don't get my harvest. That's mine. The answer is no. In the name of Jesus, I pray for your emotions. I pray against depression. I pray against discouragement. I pray for your mind, your will, and your emotions to line up with the word of God. I pray for anything and everything that is speaking to you out of rebellion. And I answer it with, get thee behind me, Satan. You will not prevail. And I pray for you to be healed, to be healed, to be healed, to be delivered in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to say one simple word to the devil. I want you to say, no. No, No, devil. No. 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 And in the name of Jesus, I want you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And one last thing I want you to say to your ministering spirit, I dispatch you. I dispatch you to do my bidding in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, and amen.